0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are uh, beginning a look at the last woman that's listed in the genealogy in Matthew's Gospel. And so we, we don't have to go very far to get there, frankly, from where we ended yesterday. And, and that is, is that, so we get Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. So Obed would be Ruth's son, and then Jesse would be her grandson, therefore David would then be her great-grandson. So we've gotten that one taken care of. And then in the very next sentence, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. It's interesting to me that Matthew chooses not to even mention uh, the name here. It doesn't, doesn't say um, that she was the, uh, the, not only the wife of Uriah, but she was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. But we don't get that. Um, Matthew doesn't even bother giving us that detail because he's pointing to a story. You know, it's not um, that, that she, she really is, is an important person, but at the same time, Matthew wants to point out David's sin. He wants to call that to the surface, and so rather than just identifying her as Bathsheba, he, he calls her the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing that he clearly had to make a choice to do. I mean, you can just see this guy sitting there writing this genealogy out, knowing what his agenda is, knowing what he wants to bring to light, and deciding, I'm not going to be subtle at all. I'm not even going to begin to be subtle here. I'm going to point to the problem. And the problem is is that she is the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. She is not Bathsheba, uh, David's wife. Uh, at that time. She becomes David's wife, but only after he has, has Uriah killed. And so let's, let's read the beginning part of 2 Samuel 11, and then we're going to spend a little time talking about who is this woman, Bathsheba. And we're going to look at her in two different ways. Today we're going to look at her as in what's her past, and then we're going to look at what's her future tomorrow. Um, so in the spring of the year, this is Second Samuel 11, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David, the king, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So the time when kings go out to battle, and David sends Joab and his servants and the entire nation of Israel. And they did a wonderful thing. They and bes- they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, the king, remained in Jerusalem. Kings go out to battle, but David didn't. Has David just gotten fat and happy? Is that what's going on with this? I think that's actually the answer. David's gotten fat and happy. He- he's like, it's sort of late empire stuff, right? I mean, we kind of live in that world now in the United States, Um at the time that I'm uh, recording this, we've been without power, or not power, without water for several days here at my house because the city has really old infrastructure. And they said, you know, it's, it's, it's over 100 years old. And we can't maintain this. And they're spending. we have $10 million that we spend every year on capital improvements. Well, $10 million isn't going to get you a whole lot. That's the honest truth. Um, it's not going to get you much. It won't ever get you caught up. There will constantly be problems like this. So now instead of a capital improvement, you've got to do this other thing. But, but that's not what we focus on. We focus on things like reparations and then also um, – other silliness that we do here in this city we spend we we defunded the police you know and and what did we get for that well we got an enormous spike in crime and all this other stuff but and that's david's issue is david says "Eh, i don't have to go out with the people anymore i'll just be here by myself i'll stay in jerusalem he can't be bothered anymore he can't he's no longer willing to be the leader of the people and so he sends joab out to do it well that's dangerous that's a very dangerous business to be able to, to begin to abdicate responsibility in that way, because ultimately the people are going to do to Joab exactly what they did to you, David, and that is is that they began to raise him up, just in the same way that you were raised up in contrast to Saul, that Saul had killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. And so it creates this jealousy, but leadership abhors a vacuum. And so Joab becomes this leader in this thing because David is choosing now just to stay at home. He doesn't feel like his presence is even needed. There's a confidence, certainly, in that and a cockiness in that that says, well, they don't need me. They can go out and conquer and win these battles without me. But the reality is that that's not how it worked. So David's making a mistake here. And because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, notice what it didn't say. What it didn't say is is that she's bathing on the roof. That's not what it said at all. It says David was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. So we're not told that she was bathing on the roof. We don't know why David saw this, how David saw this, but temptation got in his way, and he didn't look away. He didn't turn around. Now, she had done nothing here. Bathsheba is completely innocent in this, and so David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. So what that means is, is that it had just been her time of the month, and she had finished that, and that's what, that was this, this bath, this mikvah that she was taking, is to purify herself from uncleanness. Well, that's a very Jewish thing to do. In Orthodox communities today, many women do this every month, <clears throat> because it, it, it's, it's to mourn the loss of the potential life and that's exactly what happened, is that egg, because it wasn't uh, fertilized, dies. And so the, the, there's a purification that's related to the fact that death was inside her body. It has nothing to do with the blood itself. It doesn't have anything to do with with sort of a a, a concern about that, because the, the ancient world was a whole lot less concerned about that kind of thing than we are. So So this is, no, it's because there's a death that's occurred inside her body, the death of that egg that went unfertilized and therefore then is causing this menstruation. So David lay with her, then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So we've got all kinds of issues here. David's told, and it's a great way to say it, is it this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David has no excuse here. She, She is somebody who is off limits to David because she is another man's wife, and therefore he can't have her. And yet, David doesn't pay attention to that. He's not where he should have been. He's not with his people and his men. No, he's somewhere else. And and why is he somewhere else? Because he's choosing to, to abdicate the responsibility for these things, and he's got fat, happy, and lazy. So, so he's told, he sees this woman, and he inquires after her. So first, he should have turned his eyes, right? He should have turned away and not looked at this. Instead, he continued to look, and not only that, he made uh, inquiries as to, hey, who is she? And so he gets the news, and then he has her come to him, and she lies with him. Does that mean she's guilty of a horrendous sin? No, it means that he's the king. He's the king. And to disobey in that instance, would, would have been perhaps dangerous for her. What we're also told is, is that that her, not just her husband's name, we also get her father's name. And her father is a man called Eliam. And then what we get later, about 10 chapters later, we, we learn something about this Eliam. And what we learn is, is that Eliphalet the son of Ahasbi, Ahasbi, sorry, the son of the Machathite. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Now, this Ahithophel is somebody who is really important. He is one of King David's most trusted advisors, according to 2 Samuel 15. But what we're told in chapter 23 is he's not an Israelite. He's a Gilonite. And so who are these Gilonites, and who are these people? Well, the Gilonites were named after their city, which is in the highlands of Judah, kind of near Hebron. And they were one of the several Canaanite tribes that were not (coughs) expelled from the land when Judah conquered it. And then you've got to ask, well, who are the Hittites? Well, they are, the the Hittites are from the land of Ham, the Noah's son who uncovered his nakedness. And remember, Ham is the father of Canaan who is cursed by Noah (coughs) because of the immorality involved. And then they're the ones who are in the land and or to be expelled. And so then we get this, the Canaanites generally, and then below that come the tribes. So Canaan is the father of these people. Ham is ultimately the father. And then the Canaanites, Canaan is their father. And then the, these other tribes, like the Hittites, are Canaan's children. And so Uriah is a Hittite, which means he is also a Canaanite. Bathsheba's grandfather is a Gilanite which is a Canaanite. So these are separate members of the one larger family in the same way that Judah is a part of Israel. So these trace their ancestry back even further, all the way to Ham, which is predating Abraham. So that, that's who these people are. And so the question then becomes, and, and the issue is, is, is that a lot of people want to claim that she's a Hebrew I don't see, frankly, the evidence for such a thing that she is a Hebrew. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So the only way you can square the circle now is, is that, that if, you're, if she's a, uh, a Hebrew, then somebody some, her father, Eliam, allowed her to marry outside of Israel. a man named Uriah the Hittite, which means that the only way to continue to square that circle, because you don't have any choice, but to square the circle, because she, the the daughter, can't be given to a non-Israelite, so then what you have to have is that Uriah the Hittite is a convert to Judaism, for which there is absolutely no evidence. So it's unlikely that Ahitophel would have allowed his grandson, if he were a Hebrew, to or granddaughter, I mean, to marry a Hittite. And so what we see here then is Ahitophel, who's one of David's most trusted advisors, who is a Gilanite, and Uriah the Hittite is a commander in David's army. So what we see is, is that, that, that Israel included these people who chose to be part of Israel and who identified themselves with Israel so much they were willing to give their lives for it, like Uriah. So that, that's the thing. I don't think there's any question in my mind at least, there's no question at all that she is not a member of the tribe of Israel. She's not part of that group. She's not a Judahite because her grandfather was not. So we have no real reason to believe um, that Uriah is a Hebrew, nor do we have any particular reason to believe that, that Bathsheba is. And so that what we see is, again, a Gentile woman who is being used by God and not in a good way. All, like I said, all these women, from Tamar to Ruth to to Rahab to Ruth and now to Bathsheba, have sort of built-in objections to them to them that that is almost unique to them, in many ways. And so the, they've got a past, and they have. And, and in Ruth's case, it's not a personal past; it's a presumed past because she's a Moabite. So she is the product of that incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And so that says something about those people's sexual mores. They were, they were founded in utter sin or conceived in utter sin. And then so now, that, which is exactly what Jesus is accused of, right? You were conceived in utter sin, and now you would, would um, rule over us. There, there's a question about ancestry. There's a question about what's going on here. And so the, the question about Uriah and, and Bathsheba and David and Bathsheba is applied also to Jesus by his interlocutors. And so we see this going on, and so that now we have Uriah the Hittite, and so David calls this woman, and he does what he wants with her. And so David takes her. I, I read a couple of things um, in, in trying to, to get through this issue of uh, whether Bathsheba is is Jewish or not, and, and it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I read one of the most fanciful things I've ever seen in my life. The presumption was that Ahithophel a, a was was a grand was her grandfather and and served as a trusted advisor to David. Therefore, because of that, Eliam would have been around, and then also Bathsheba would probably have been dandled on David's knee at some point in time as the granddaughter of one of his trusted advisors. I mean, it's completely fanciful. It's just entirely made up out of old cloth. But but that's the kind of stuff that happens, and, and I'm going to tell you this. That was not done by a Jewish commenter. That was a Christian who wrote that, and, and it's this entire thing about you know, he probably had known her all her life, and that compounds this sin. Well, the son, sin didn't need any compounding. There's plenty already there. And, and if we were to be uh, informed that she was Jewish, in spite of the fact that she keeps this Jewish purification ritual, well, th- that that would still be bizarre that her father would have given her, as, uh, her grandfather being one of David's trusted advisors, that her father would have given her in marriage to a Hittite. It just doesn't make sense. And so, um, but but what we get then is David sees this woman, and he finds her to be incredibly beautiful, and so he wants to take her to himself, and so he does. And then the rest of the story, now that she's pregnant, you can imagine how David reacted to that news (laughs) when she sent and told him, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, you know, so a few months have gone by now. And David sent word to Joab, the commander of the army, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. David's making small talk. You mean really, really? You sent me. You sent for me to come from battle, so that I could come back here and we could make small talk, and you could see how everybody's doing. David, why don't you go out and see, like you did when your brothers and and Saul in the army were facing Goliath? Why don't you do that? Why did you call and ask somebody to come and tell you how everybody's doing? Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now, that is a euphemism in some ways. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. You know, David's trying to bribe him. David's absolutely trying to bribe bribe Uriah. He feels guilty, and so he's doing this. But Uriah slipped at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord, and didn't go down to his house. Uriah is a faithful man. He is faithful to David, more faithful to David here than he is interested in going to his own wife. And when they told David Uriah didn't go down to his house, now remember this, people would have known what David had done. There would have been gossip, I'm sure, because he asked about her and somebody he sent for her. So when they told him he didn't go down to his house, he said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? Like you did, David? Now Uriah doesn't know that, but, but what? listen to what he said there. The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. My Lord Joab, the servants of my Lord, are camping in the open field. But you're here, David. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? He's saying I'm more uh, faithful and loyal to you, to Joab, and to Israel than I am to my wife. That means more to me than even my wife does. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. I'm not going to go. I'm not worthy of that. No, the people that I care about are out there suffering and camping in an open field, David, and I'm not going to be that guy. I feel like I'm a betrayer if I do that. David, I mean, he's, he's lecturing David without even knowing it. He has no earthly idea. It, at some level, he probably does, actually. I, I don't know if this speech was designed to, to uh, prick David's conscience and say, you know what, you're right, let's go let's go together. No, that's not what happens. David is monomaniacal here with his one thought is covering his tracks and getting out of his guilt in this way. He doesn't bother to involve Bathsheba in his plot and his plan. What he wants is for him to go back and sleep with his wife. He hadn't been with her for a while. Why don't you go sleep with your wife? And, and that way, well, you, you know, it could just be premature, And it belongs to Uriah. It doesn't belong to me. And David's trying to cover his tracks. And again, Bathsheba's innocent in this whole thing. She has no earthly idea what David's doing. We'll come back tomorrow and we'll pick up more on Bathsheba and her story and then as the mother of Solomon.